Hello, and welcome to English in Your Face. My name is Peter Mandrasina, an English teacher and translator for the past 30 years. Now today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of working on grammar, we're going to have an interview with one of my students, Jessica Miranda. Jessica has been taking classes from me for about a year, and I thought it might be interesting to speak to some of my students to get their perspectives on learning English. Now, you may notice that Jessica makes a few mistakes when she speaks, but that doesn't stop her from expressing herself quite well. I wish the best of that for you as well. There's a short transcript of this interview on my blog. So head on over to englishinyourface.blog after the podcast and learn some more. So without further ado, here is the interview. Okay, I'm sitting here with uh, Jessica Miranda. She's um, one of my students of about a year. And she has a pretty good English level. And I'm going to talk to her today a little bit about what she does and her experiences learning English. So, how are you, Jessica? Hello, Peter. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. (laughs) What do you do? Well, I work as a neurologist in the Negrin Hospital. And also once a week in San Roque Hospital. Okay. And why did you decide to study neurology? Well, because I think that neurology was the more attractive of the specialities of medicine because it's always a, a challenge for, for me to diagnose um, a neuro- neurological illness. So... It's pretty amazing. Okay, that's great. Where did you, you, you came to me and you already had a pretty good high level of English. Where did you learn English at first? Well, uh, I learned English at school in Tenerife. Um, I went to, to a school where the teachers were from England, from Ireland, and from Scotland. So we took classes since we were little kids. So I think we've got a, a pretty good basis. You said that you had to leave English classes for a while. Why, why did you have to leave? I had to leave because I started my degree of medicine and I have to focus on on it, and I didn't have enough time to do other activities. Okay, and why did you finally come back? Well, the main reason was that I felt so rusty mm-hmm. with the language. So I wanted to do some conversation, and I I wanted to update. Mm-hmm. Good. And uh, now, do you? feel a little bit more comfortable now that you began taking English classes again? Yeah, I think I, I feel more comfortable above all with my speaking. 
because we we have great conversations here and it's very interesting so i i feel more secure now okay good do you get embarrassed about uh, speaking english to other people or in front of a large group well it depends on the group or of the people <laughs> i think um at the beginning yes i f i feel a little bit embarrassed but when when you get deep in the conversation or in the issue i think i i can feel more free you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is it more difficult to speak one on one or or to speak in front of a large audience what's more difficult for you for me the second option in bigger groups yes yeah well i would think that well i don't know because in bigger groups if you're prepared you probably speak a lot better or you have to plan what you're going to say but one-on-one -on -one, sometimes you don't know where the conversation is is going to go yeah i know with when i speak spanish i get stuck all the time because i don't know a word i have to go back and start again but when i when i speak to large groups of people i'm always prepared i know what i'm going to say i may not be able to answer all the questions that come after the presentation but i don't have any problems with the presentation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know, a lot of i teach 90 of the people i teach maybe more are in the healthcare profession, doctors and nurses and pharmacists and things like that. Do you think it's important for doctors to to have a good level of English? Yeah. I think it's very important because English is the uh, um, scientific language. So everything that is published uh, It's published before um, in English and if you want to be updated and if you want to study the latest thing you have to read in English mm -hmm. so it's a very powerful tool mm -hmm. and you have to manage with the with the language so it's more comfortable if you're in a presentation or an international presentation and most of the speakers in an inter international presentation are speaking in English, it's probably easier to be able to understand and to ask a question in English than to use the translation, no? Yeah, yeah. pretty mm. much. What is, um, what's the, for you, what, is, what was the most difficult thing to learn in English? Without doubt, grammar. Yes? Yeah. Is that your weak point? Yeah, it's my Achilles heel. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but the, the problem with grammar is that, uh, you know, when I'm teaching an intermediate student, you usually do it by example. You give them a certain formula that they have to follow, and you repeat <coughs> the same formula over and over again. But once you get to an advanced level, you can't do that because you have to go in and you need to tweak little pieces of grammar so you have to go very deep and it can be really boring one of the most difficult people to teach are not the beginners the beginners are very easy to teach because they always walk out knowing a hundred percent more than when they walked in yeah but as you learn more and more you leave the class having learned less and less yeah 
And it's more a question of maintaining and learning and fixing than it is to learn something new. So for me, it, it's the most difficult class, the, the advanced students, because you have to do something different all the time. You can't spend an hour doing grammar. You can't spend an hour doing a reading. You have to mix it up and make it interesting or they get bored. Yeah. yeah. What's the easiest thing about learning English? Maybe speaking, I think. Yes? Yeah. Well, you're because a bit... it's it's more fun because you get involved easy and and I think I I speak better than I read or or I write, so I feel more more comfortable with it. Mm. A lot of people say that the, well, I learned this I feel the same way as you. I speak Spanish a hell of a lot better. Then I, then I write it or read it mm. or, or anything like that. Because as an English teacher, I try not to use Spanish when mm. I teach. Um, people are not paying me to have a conversation in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes it's a little difficult and I need to explain something in Spanish. And that's been true for the 25 years that I've lived here. That every once in a while I have to explain something in Spanish for expediency's sake to get it done and get it over with. Because the way I was taught to teach English is never use anything but the target language, in this case, English. So I learned how to speak Spanish before I learned how to read it or before I learned how to write it. And I, pretty, I can do pretty much almost everything now, especially read computer manuals. Because that was the only thing I did when I came here. But I can't read fiction that well and I can't write. What, how is your writing? It's been a long time see, since we have done writing, so I don't know now uh, where is my level. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I know what you're talking about because when students come to me they and I ask them to write something, for example, if they're studying for, a, uh, for an advanced certificate, especially the people who are studying for the advanced certificate, They think they can write like they write in Spanish. And what comes out is like spaghetti. Yeah. It's all tangled up. The grammar is all wrong. So the first thing I do when somebody is learning writing is strip away everything until they get to the meat and the bone, the subject, the verb, the object. And there's a... Um, a very famous grammarian named William Zisner who wrote a book called On Writing. Very apt title for a book on writing. <laughs> And the very, first, the very first sentence of the book is, there is no sentence too short in the eyes of God. <laughs> And I have made that my mantra for writing. So I ask you what is the most difficult and what is the most, uh, the easiest thing to learn about English. What do you think is the most fun? Well, for me, it's very fun to see, um, to watch some TV programs or um, some TV series and also right here with you some fiction books or singing songs and 
We don't sing songs. In well, the not with you, but in school, we translate. We try to translate the lyrics of a few songs, yeah. and they are still in my mind. So I like those kind of things. Have you ever tried to translate the words, uh, the lyrics of a Bob Dylan song? No, <laughs> no, because I. I try to learn one Bob Dylan songs with my flute, but not to translate it. You play the flute? This is something yeah. you haven't told me. Is it a, 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 a my private flute? abilities. Is it a, a real flute or a or a No, the one you know Yeah, the one that kids uh played in school. Yeah. All right. Um What advice would you give to someone who wants to pick up their English or to learn English for the first time? What advice would you give to them? Well, first of all, I think that the most important thing is trying to learn a language when you are a child because it would be easier for you Well, yes, of course, but to learning. most of the people that I teach are adults. Yeah. I mean, I, I teach children, but I think most children should be in a box until they're 18 years old anyway. <laughs> but, but let's assume that, uh, that a person is adult and an adult. And well. What advice would you give an adult who wants to either start their English lessons again or to... Um, begin as a beginner student? Well, I think people should take advantage of new technologies to keep on learning English mm -hmm. because now we've got more facilities than 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to, to be in contact with English or other languages. Mm -hmm. And... Another important thing is to try trying to travel to um, English-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you were talking about using technologies. Uh, do you have any kind of application or anything that you use to keep up with your English? Well, I used to listen to some podcasts with Tech Talks. Mm -hmm. application um, sometimes on YouTube also and I I like to watch some TV series on the original um, language mm -hmm. so I use it also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but you've never used any applications like not uh, with Rosetta English. Stone or not with or English like no. I try it with French Hmm. But not with English. I have I I do a little Italian lesson every day with a a little application on my phone called Duolingo, and the lessons are like three minutes long. I mean, you're not going to speak. I'm not going to speak like Umberto Eco in a year, but at least I'm not losing touch with the language. Yeah. Because I've been looking for a good Italian teacher for almost six months now. 
Because every time I seem to get an Italian teacher, three months later they find a job and they leave me. <laughs> This is the story of my life. <laughs> Maybe it's because of you. <laughs> I've been thinking about that. Perhaps I perhaps perhaps because I'm a teacher, I'm a little more demanding yeah, of probably. my teachers. No, I don't want you to teach me that way. I want you to teach me this way. This is the way I once sent a manifesto to an Italian teacher on how to teach. Because it was the first, she was a translator, really, she, and she didn't have any work, so she turned to teaching on the internet uh, because she didn't have any money and she had a family. So she turned to the internet and I was one of her first students. And she was awful. She, <laughs> she was absolutely awful. And she said to me, do you know the name for table in Italian? And I said, no. I said, it's tavola. Can you say tavola? And I said, Yes. <laughs> I can say tavola. <laughs> so basically, she had no idea how to teach. So I sent her a manifesto that I wrote many years ago on how to teach, to teach using the Socratic method, you know, questioning, asking a yes question, um, setting up a control, like this is a book, this is a pen, and then setting up the... The yes or no question, is this a book, is this a pen, yes, this is a book, yes, this is a pen. And then giving a no question, no, this isn't a pen. And then the key question, what is this? And they would answer, this is a book. So I sent her all of the manifesto, and she read it through. And then I forced her at almost like gunpoint, you know, <laughs> as much as you can force someone at gunpoint over the internet. I forced her to use that every day. And after about a month, she said, I'm sorry, I got a job, I can't teach you anymore. <laughs> so, so when you made a joke that... She fed up with you. I think she got fed up with him because I was a little too strict as a student. Yeah. I was teaching her to teach me Italian. <laughs> Do you know the word for... It was a meta teaching. She, yes. <laughs> it was a, a meta moment. Um, since you're a neurologist, you probably deal a lot with uh, older uh, people. Um, and I teach people who are in their 80s, um, two of them exactly. Uh, on Saturdays, I go to their house, we drink tea, and we speak English. But it really isn't teaching. It's more like making sure that they don't lose what they already have. And that they're very the both of those people are very sharp, very sharp people, and they still speak English pretty well. Do you think it's beneficial for an older person to learn a new language? Of course it is. Um because as you get older you have to maintain your cognitive abilities so you need you need to be active mm -hmm. you need to mentally yeah mentally active and and you have to do as many things as you can um to stimulate your neuro neurological neurological net so learning a new language or practicing a language that you know for a long time it's a very good activity for your cognition and for your brain mm -hmm. okay 
That's mm-hmm. good. What do you think about those applications that uh, purport to give your brain a workout? You know, I've seen these things on brain power and things like that. Do you think they actually give your brain a workout? I mean, can you work out your brain like you work out in the gym? Well, some of them are, are really good for your brain health, but we must understand that our brain... We must understand? We, we must. We must. Yeah, we must understand because <laughs> your brain um, takes, takes part in, in many procedures and you've got many areas of your brain that you have to train. And, and people think, for example, when they go to the, when they go to my office, they say, well, I do some crosswords. And they think that's enough for training your brain. And, and they don't think that when they do a crossword, well, you are training your language skills and your attention, but you are not training your, um, you are not doing some mathematical operations, and you are not training um, visual special skills or other skills that your brain um, needs. Needs. Mm-hmm. So, so do you have like a workout program for older people to make sure they cover all of those areas you talked about? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. We've got some kind of notebooks with pretty much exercises. And with one of them, you train attention. With one of them, you try memory. With one of them, you try um, visual skills. You know, like mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, when I get old, will you help me? And it's very important. It's very important. <laughs> You're old now. <laughs> I need I'm an old man. It's very important to to do some physical exercise. Like lifting a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the only one thing that has um, proof that cognitive decline could be, uh, how do you say, atrasado? Delayed. Delayed. Um, okay, cut it. No, it's very important to do some physical, physical activity because it's the only one thing that has proof that can delay 10 or 15 years, the cognitive decline. Right, so. And almost all, all the people forgot about practicing sports or doing some exercise. Okay. Well, mm. I have to remember that because I'm getting very old. <laughs> uh-huh. I was, uh, I, I saw, I'm going to send this to you. It was really good because somebody had, uh, a famous country singer was talking to Clint Eastwood, and it was a week before his 88th birthday. 
And the man said, well, what are you going to do for your birthday? And Clint Eastwood said, I'm going to start a new film. And he said, well, you know, it's incredible how at 88 or 88 years old, you are, you're still making films. How do you do it? How do you continue to, to be vigorous? And he says, well, every day I wake up in the morning and I don't let the old man in. Well, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you very much, Jessica, for talking to me. I hope to do a lot more of these with my students, and they'll get better as we go along. Because I'm really, I'm a really funny guy, but uh, <laughs> sometimes when I get in front of the microphone, I, I forget my jokey nature. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you, Peter. And that's the end. That'll do it for our podcast today. Don't forget to check out my blog, EnglishInYourFace.blog, to read transcripts of my podcasts. The blog also has other posts on learning English, and also some fun stuff like pictures and videos of things I've done and places I've gone. If you want to ask a question, just send a message to Peter at EnglishInYourFace.blog. Until the next time, I'm out of here. <laughs>